Good morning and welcome back. I'm Rick Brown. Thank you for joining us on today's Seek First podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everybody. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and mind. Let's go. But hopefully you made your way to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at our message, The Renewal Project. There's a renewal project, and there's a lot of uh, energy, speaking about energy, in renewable resources. But the greatest renewable resource is the work of God's Spirit and God's Word in the heart of a child of God to renew you and me. And we need daily renewal. You ever feel like you're falling apart through the week? Some of you just barely limped in here. You almost didn't make it to church. The last, you go to church last Sunday and it seems like a month ago because you've went through so much stuff. You're like, I gotta get to church. Because you come out of Sunday, you're like, yes. And you get to Wednesday and you go, maybe. You get to Friday, you're like, oh no. The train wreck's coming and you're like, Sunday, let's start all over again. And the renewing that Paul the Apostle, all the way through his writings of the 13 epistles that are ascribed to him, he lays out what God has done for you, and then he turns like a door on the hinge towards you applying everything that he's now taught you. It's knowing who you are in Christ and what God has done for you, and then your response to that. And that's where Romans chapter 12, verse 1, picks up. Stand with me. We're going to read these first eight verses of this incredible chapter as we look at our message, The Renewal Project. Verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in his teaching... He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that by your spirit, you'll just open our understanding, open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things from your word. Lord, would you renew us by your spirit through your word to give your instruction and your heart to each of us in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The first thing that we see in this passage of scripture is number one, we want to present it. What are we presenting to the Lord? We are presenting our body. You know, the Lord wants us to bring everything we are to the table. 
He has bought us at a price. We're no longer our own. Peter tells us that we were bought not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus. So he's purchased us. So our body, I mean, you know, I'm not into tattoos. If you have them, I admire them. God bless you. Love your ink work. It's cool. I just, this is virgin skin right here. No, no tats. Not, not because I'm not... I don't know if that deserves applause. I just, I mean, truth be known, I'm just afraid of needles. But uh, <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with all that. I don't even know how I got off track. Oh, your body, right? <laughs> but people put Bible verses on their bi- bodies. They put, you know, mom on their body. They put the wife of their former lover on their body. They and. They, and then they erase it, they take the skin graph off and put another one on because, you know, they got, they got names on there. And it's not easy to erase or delete when you do those things. But the thing is, if you could see your body from the perspective of the Lord, there would be big, bold letters across you, mine. You're mine. I purchased you with my blood, you're mine. So it stands the reason that Paul the Apostle with such passion would say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's saying, I beg you, brothers and sisters, I beg of you to do this. Because the thing is, is there's this reluctance that we have in our humanness and there's also a uh, persuasion by the devil himself for you not to be all in in your Christian life. You know what I mean? Some of you are sitting here and you go, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, but it doesn't interfere with my life very much. Meaning, you don't give much space to it, right? I mean, it's this like token statement over your life. But you have to realize you're in a spiritual battle and the devil is constantly trying to get you to hold back. Hey, don't serve God with your body, don't serve him with your life, don't serve him with your mind. Very much when Moses was gonna take the children of Israel out of Egypt, Pharaoh is a picture of the devil in the Old Testament, and he tempts Moses three times to compromise on delivering the children of Israel. The first time he says, hey, don't go very far. Moses said, I'm taking all of us, we're going three days out into the desert. He goes, no, 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 sacrifice right here. He's like, if you're gonna believe in this God, then just don't go too far. That's the message the devil whispers in our ear. Hey, just don't, you know, don't be too radical about this Jesus thing. Don't be one of those freaks. Don't be one of those people that actually reads the Bible or goes to church. Just have enough of Jesus to be fire insurance to take you heaven because obviously nobody wants to go to hell. And this is the reality that so many people compromise. They have just enough of Jesus that they feel safe and secure for eternity but they're afraid of really surrendering their life here. Pharaoh goes on to tell Moses the next time, because Moses said, no, no, we're going, we're all in. The next time a plague happens, Pharaoh's trying to compromise, and he goes, well, who's gonna go? And he goes, we're gonna take our old, we're gonna take our young, we're gonna take the children, we're, take, we're taking everybody. Pharaoh goes, no, no, no. You know, you get out there in the wilderness, you'll, you'll be afraid for your little children. You just leave the kids here for, because Pharaoh knew if he kept, keeps the kids there, right? He's got them. They're coming back for the kids. And that's what he whispers in parents' ears. This is what he says. You know what? It's okay for you to believe in Jesus, but don't be teaching your children about that. Let them make their own decision. Now, your children will make their own decision, but 
parents bring as much influence for good as they possibly can. I lived with my dad, who became a Christian, though I wasn't raised in a Christian home, because my parents were divorced, between my seventh and eighth grade year. And he said, (laughs) Sunday morning came, he said, we're going to church. I said, I don't want to go to church. I was 13. He goes, you're staying with me this summer. If you're here on a Sunday, you're going to church. And that was the first time I ever heard that. And I'm like, what a drag. I didn't want to go to church. What a bore, right? So I went, and then I figured out the rest of the summer trying to find something to be somewhere else every Sunday so I didn't have to go to church with my dad. But my dad, in his love for me, he's like, you're with me, you're gonna hear this message. And it was on that very last Sunday of that summer when I finally heard and understood the gospel for the first time. Because he knew if I, he kept taking me to the Lord's house, I was gonna hear that Jesus loved me, died on a cross for my sins, was buried and rose from the dead, and that he is the only way to get to heaven and experience the forgiveness of sin through the substitution of his death for me. It hit me. I was thunderstruck at the age of 13. I remember thinking, oh no. What I, what I meant was, now I know, because up to that point I would go, I don't get this religious mumbo jumbo. I don't, I just, it's not for me. And at that moment I understood it and I go, I gotta make a decision. I'm either for him or against him. You say, I'm not for him or against him. I'm just neutral. Did you know there's no neutral? If you're in neutral, you're against. You're either for him or you're against him. No neutral. And I ran from God as hard as I could <laughs> for the next six years till he ran me down. And I had to surrender to his love. You see, when Paul says, I beg you to offer your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, which is holy and acceptable to God, the only thing, it's like that little cartoon at Christmas time. Little Drummer Boy, my favorite Christmas cartoon of all time is Little Drummer Boy. Because he's there and he has nothing, right? The only thing he can do for the Lord is to play a drum. We feel like this. You know what? What am I going to offer God? He wants your hands. He wants your feet. He wants your head. He wants your heart. He wants your mouth. He wants your eyes. He wants all of you. And he paid the price to purchase you, that he might have all of you. Secondly, we need to reason it for your service. Is this reasonable? It says, which is your reasonable service? If Jesus did all of this for me, is it not reasonable for me to offer my life and service back to him? He died for me so that I might live for him. Have you ever thought about the wounds in Jesus' body? Think about it, it's brutal. They drove spikes through his wrists, not through his hands, because all of his weight would have just pulled him right out. It was right between these two bones. And then through his feet, crown of thorns upon his head, they scourged his back and took all the flesh off of his back. Have you ever thought about, if Jesus is paying the price for me, and now in this picture, I'm to present my body to him, and he paid the price for me, that Jesus took spikes in his hands to take the place of me, a substitute, that I have sinned so much with these hands. The mark of my sin is upon his hands. My feet took me into sinful places and the mark of my sin was upon his feet. I turned my back on God and not my face towards God. 
And Jesus paid the price by all of the flesh being removed from his back. The crown of thorns that was on his head, my mind wanted anything to do with everything but God. And yet, he paid the price. From the top of his head, a crown of thorns, to the bottom of his feet, a spike through it, Jesus paid the price for me so that I might offer him my hands now forgiven and cleansed, my feet now forgiven and cleansed that he might take me where he wants me to go, a mind now that only wants what God's will is for my life, a heart that beats towards him, a face that turns towards him instead of my back. It's a tough thing. It's hard to kick against the goads, as Jesus told Paul the Apostle. And some of you here today are kicking against the goads, which are the sharp sticks that a farmer would use to get the ox to plow in the direction that he wanted. And you know, we're just like, we're just kicking, and the Lord's goading our heart. He's poking our heart all the time about coming to him. But he tells us it's only reasonable if Jesus pays this kind of price for you. It's only reasonable for you to offer your body back to him in service. It's rational, it's logical. Thirdly, we are to resist it. That is our culture. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. We right now have this trash compactor squeezing us into this place, right? What, What is it trying to conform us into? The Lord says, resist this that's trying to conform us into a place that's squeezing us like there are a hundred different genders, don't you get it? And you're over here, no, it's only a male and a female. No, there's all these different, no, there's just two. I can see you, Victor Marx shared a great story a while back, he's got this dog scout. And they train it, it's, a, it's literally a soldier. He can tell this dog to do anything from take somebody down to hold them to kill them. And, but he's also trained it to be a service dog to women and children because Victor has rescued 45,000 little girls from sex trafficking in Iraq, in Iraq where they're just brutalized. He's rescued them. So this dog, Scout, loves on these girls once they're, you know, he's out of the battle part of it. And he was in the airport recently, and this couple came up, and he's got a big uh, collar that says, do not touch my dog, right? Because, I mean, he's, he's a fierce dog. And, and so the couple came up, and the woman said, can I pet your dog? And he says, well, thanks for asking, and yes, our dog is trained to, you know, have relationship with females, and so yes, you may. Well, the guy was really big, her boyfriend, her husband, whatever, was a really big guy. And he didn't ask, he just started to reach for the dog. And Victor said, hey, wait, excuse me, sir. Sir, my dog's a specially trained dog, and he is not trained for men to touch him, touch her. And the guy went off in the airport. He said, how dare you challenge my gender? (laughs) He's a big guy with a woman, and he's like, you're, it's, you have no right to call out my gender. And he's like making this scene and Victor's like, calm down, calm down. He didn't want the cops to come. He says, calm down. He says, you know what, sir? Scout said, he said, I'm gonna step back. We're gonna let Scout let you know what your gender is. Go ahead, approach. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Victor's quite mischievous. 
the man never even approached the dog. <laughs> Everything is trying to squeeze us into this mold. If you're white here, you're a racist, trying to squeeze you. You're, no, I'm not. I'm not a racist. At every turn, this weird ideology is trying to crush you into humbling yourself. Even half of the churches across America, pastors and churches and everybody, I start my service, but I'm just, I'm apologizing for my white privilege right now. I'm ashamed of my skin. How can I be ashamed of something I had no choice in, genetically, right? I just came into this world. It's not like you're in the womb, like, hey, can I just pick the, the skin color here? But it's trying to squeeze us into its mold, and we really have to resist these things. And Paul the Apostle, in their day, they had their things, right? And in our day, we have our things. So I present my body. It's the only logical thing to do, to be God's servant. But there's something I have to resist. An entire culture that's trying to tell me (laughs) that the sky's not blue, that the sun doesn't shine, (laughs) and that black is white, right? I mean, it's this bizarre, upside-down culture. So what we need is to be transformed or renewed in our mind, but be transformed, number four, by the renewing of your mind. How is my mind renewed? You see, there's only two, two people in the world. Those who humans are their standard, which means anything goes. You can have as many genders as you want. You know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And there's, you know, because humans set the standard. There's not, no authority above them. And then there are those who God gives you authoritatively what's right and wrong. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who say man is the standard and those who say God is the standard. So if man says, you know, sex is biological but gender is fluid, well, if there's no standard that says otherwise, okay, go for it. I mean, you want 70 genders, you want 100 genders, you want whatever trans thing you want to do, then great, because it's a human standard. But when God says there's male and female, and that marriage is between a man and a woman, and the only place for a safe, beautiful expression of sexuality is within that marriage covenant, that's a very narrow, narrow definition of what's right and wrong, right? And the world hates that, it just hates it. So they want to be the standard, they wanna be godless and reject God, right? Basically kick God off the throne of their lives, and they're gonna do whatever they want. So when we go through biblical things, that's why they, they're fire breathing. They hate Christianity. All these things I'm saying today, they want to label as hate speech. It's not hate speech. It's right and wrong, but they don't want any right and wrong, right? No morals, no God, no standard. So why do I need my mind renewed? Why do I need to read God's word? Because I need to know what God says. Since he's the creator, this is the manual for human life to flourish and to work. So, you know, you buy a new car and they have this owner's manual in it, tells you when the maintenance should happen, what kind of fuel to have in it, and various things. And you might say, hey, I'm going to put whatever I want in the gas tank. I don't care what that owner's manual says. I'm going to put sugar in my gas tank. That should get me somewhere. But you didn't check out the owner's manual, and that's what people are doing with their lives. The Lord said, this is the way it works. This is, this is the way life works. I created you, 
I know what's best for you, and this is it. And unless I read God's word to have my mind renewed, I will think just like the world, right? I'm going to think like all my friends. You tell me who all your best friends are, and I'll tell you who you're going to be in five years. Show me your best friends. That's who you are in five years. Oh, no, sir. They're doing this, and they're doing that, and they're doing... Yeah, so will you. Right? One of your friends starts a new catchphrase. You know, the one generation of, and like, and like, and like, and like, and like, and like, and like every other way, and like, and it's, it's like, it's like, and you hang out with some friends like that, and just in a few minutes, you know, and like, and like, you're like this little puppet, and like, and like, whatever the catchphrase is, right? We're humans, we're social creatures. That's why the Bible says, be careful to choose your friends. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. You hang out with bad characters, you're not going to draw them into goodness. They're going to take you down into badness because you and I have a fallen nature that is attracted to bad things. They do not have a nature inside of them attracted to good things. Only Jesus creates that inside of you to be attracted to good things. So we need our minds renewed, but then we have to prove it. What's the reality of these things? Also in verse two, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do I know God's will? If God gives us an owner's manual to live the best life I possibly can, and I read this book and I understand it, when I read it, it reveals to me his will, right? This is his will. A number of times in the New Testament, it says, and this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, straight up. And so I want to discover his will. But did you notice this basically levels or gradient? It says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I hear God's word. I apply God's word. I live God's word. I see the reality of it. And depending on how how much I want of God's will, it's either good or it's pleasing, acceptable, or it's perfect, like, wow, this is exactly what God created and designed. And you'll discover that, but because you see, wisdom is justified by our children. People will tell me, I don't believe the Bible, I don't believe this, I don't believe that. I tell you what, just take God out of the equation. I'll give you three or four things that God says. You practice them for 10 years and see if it doesn't revolutionize your life because it works. God's word that reveals his will, empowered by his spirit, will change your life. It says that if you will do things God's way, according to God's will, empowered by God's spirit, do you know what it's going to produce inside of you? That which you long for the most. There are a nine description of the fruit of God's spirit that's going to happen through that process. Think if this is not what you want in the deepest part of your being. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I want all those things, right? I want all of those things. Faithfulness than self-control. I think I missed one. But I want love. Is that what you're looking for? I want, I want to be loved. I want, I want to experience, I am designed, you are designed, you have the capacity to experience love. And that's what you're looking for. 
Even when you go from, you know, relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, it may be, you know, start physical and, you know, end up in the bed and end up in the bed and end up in the bed. But after a couple of months that, you know, the relationship falls apart and you're on to the new, next, whatever. And you, what, what are you looking for though? You're looking for love. You're looking for acceptance. Jesus meets a woman at the well. And the woman at the well, he says, uh, they're talking back and forth and they're having quite a little dialogue because she's a Samaritan and Jews and Samaritans don't talk and Jewish rabbis don't talk to women. So this is, Jesus is breaking all the cultural barriers here to minister to this woman. He's loving on her and he, he just tells her, he just says straight up, he says, why don't you go get your husband? She goes, uh, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. You've had five husbands and the guy you're shacked up with now, he's not your man, he's not your husband. That's a loose paraphrase, the shacked up, you, you know, you got to get that in the Greek. Right, that, the person that you're with right now, they're not your husband. And what Jesus was doing in the conversation going back and forth, as he talked with her a few moments, he realized the thing that he could put on the very issue of her heart, that she was looking for love. It's like, go get that guy. Is that guy doing it for you? Well, she's already had five husbands, Right? And that's not to slam anybody that's had, you know, I mean, you're here, this is America, right? Some of you are on your first go around, your second go around, your third go around, your fourth go around. Do I hear five? Do I hear six? <laughs> All right. We have a family friend, she was married 10 times. You know, it's like, and uh, kids from all the different ones. My mom's been married four times, my dad's been married three times. There's seven marriages, right? It's like, <laughs> now who is that? <laughs> What's their name? What, I have stepbrothers and stepsisters and steps and, and when I remember when my kids asked me when they're old enough to understand things, I was trying to explain it to them and I just, get, I said, let me get a piece of paper. And so I just started writing it out to them, like this is how you chart it out. I know what all that's like. I know what all that brokenness is like as the kid going through it. I see the brokenness in my own parents' life. What are you looking for? You're just looking for love. Joy, right, you want joy, but we're trying to get, you know, joy's only in a, in a bottle of alcohol or drugs. I, I wanna feel happy, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, drop, I'm gonna self-medicate till I get happy. But God's spirit, it's a beautiful thing. You actually have joy and happiness with no hangover. It's the best of all worlds, <laughs> right? So, these are the things that people are searching for and they're looking for and they want peace because at night when you finally have to turn off every noise, some people can't even do that, right? You just have to sleep with noise because they can never let their brain just rest because when you have peace, what happens? You actually think. And if you don't have peace in your soul, your mind is anxiety, insecurity. What about them? What about this? Fears and anxiety and all this stuff goes. And then you, you finally get, when you come to Jesus and you get his love and his joy and you get this peace, it's like, wow. I didn't know it could be like this. I didn't know. And, and, and it seems strange that I would fight and resist giving my whole life to him since the more of myself I give to him, the more of his love, joy, and peace I experience. So why would I hold back since that's really what I want in the first place? It, it, it seems counterproductive, doesn't it? 
just seems like, why am I doing that to myself? Because our human nature actually thinks that we can experience fulfillment somewhere else. We're always looking somewhere else. We all like sheep have gone astray, each going his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because he knows we're wandering sheep. We're just wandering around. And, and even in this day, as I have love, joy, and peace, tomorrow I have to wake up and I have to go through the, whole, the, the same old wrestling match inside of me to get back to that place of just enjoying him, right? Because my humanness, my heart is an idol factory that thinks, oh, maybe that'll make, oh, maybe that'll, ooh, you know, shiny thing. Maybe all these other things are gonna make me happy. That, that person, that money, that position, that title, whatever, something, something else is gonna make, you know. There's nothing more wonderful being, a quiet, being quiet, alone with God and at total rest. I'm right with him. He loves me. He fills me with his joy. He fills me with his peace. And there's nothing out here that can do that for me, not even another relationship, because you look at a, a husband or a wife, that's, they're gonna make me happy. <laughs> that's a good one. That's, if you can't be happy on your own, how in the world is another person gonna do that for you on the inside, right? You're a miserable mess on your own, and you're always gonna be a miserable else person on your own, unless you figure that out, and then you can actually have a relationship with another person because you've taken care of things with you and the Lord. Otherwise, you just have this incredible expectation. You know what expectation is? It's premeditated resentment. Did you know that? If you put your expectation on this man or that woman, I want you to know you're just premeditating that you're gonna resent them very soon because they're gonna let you down from what that expectation is, right? People get married and the husband has an expectation of his wife's gonna do this for him. <laughs> and the wife gets married, she says, he's gonna do this for me. It seems like the worst cosmic joke in the world. <laughs> suckers, they're all suckers. Because as soon as I put my expectation on someone else and they don't do it, how do I feel towards them? I resent them. Now, did they ask me to put an unrealistic expectation on them? No, but I did it to them and they didn't even ask for it. Why are you mad at me? I know you didn't ask for it, but I hate you. <laughs> How did I let you down? I put this expectation, you didn't do it. You never even told me that was the expectation. I know, I expected you to guess my imaginary expect <laughs> expectation, to do what I wanted you to do for me, and now I hate your guts because you could not read my mind to do something that is irrational and beyond a human ability, but you are the problem. How in the world am I the problem of your over-expecting, resentful, bitter heart? Nobody does that inside of you. You do that to yourself. You see, to prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God is to hear what God says and to pursue his will because he knows how to make it work. He knows how to make it work. Then we have to humble it. 
your opinion. And number six, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. You see, I have to humble myself in my own opinion because there's this pride that each one of us have that we think that we're the smartest person in the room. It starts about 15 when you think and you think how stupid your parents are. And, and you're like, these weird people. How come I have to be in the house with these weird people? They know nothing. Like I'm, I'm brilliant because I'm on social media and I'm learning the wisdom of the ages of a lot of other 15 year olds and we're so smart. And you ask your parents a question they answer with a reasonable, wise answer, and you go, uh-uh, that's not the way it is. It's the, it's the know-it-all syndrome. The know-it-all syndrome starts about 15, and it peaks, peaks about 18, 19, and then by about 25, you go, you know, it's amazing how much mom and dad's learned recently. Just seems like they just got this good wisdom and good advice and they've really smartened up in the last 10 years. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that they haven't smart, they knew this all along because they're 50 years old and they've learned a lot and there's a lot of water under the bridge. But that person finally lowered their own opinion of themselves and their know-it-allness and actually began to ask for some advice. Because you see, to progress forward, you have to realize you don't know everything. I don't care, if you're an expert in one subject, you know only the surface of that subject. Even if you're an expert in one subject, not multiple subjects. But we live in the, the Google generation that can Google anything, and they think they're so smart. You're not so smart, right? You're tapped into Google University, that has a lot of information about stuff you know nothing about and next week you're gonna forget it anyway and not retain it. And so you should lower your opinion of yourself. We also need to remember it that we are all diverse people in the body of Christ. Number four, or number seven in our list here, remember it, your diversity. Everybody wants to talk about diversity today. This is a different kind of diversity. This is not uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity, as the left is telling us. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is the freedom that we have that we're in Jesus. If we have, you know, 400 people in the room and everybody's in Jesus, each one of you are unique with your DNA, your fingerprint, and the part of the body and the gifts of the body, the gifts of the spirit that God has given to each one of you. Therefore, God's not into cloning or cookie cutter people. He loves diversity. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the trees of the forest. God loves diversity and he loves diversity among us, but people love conformity. Do you know when, when, a, when a church is either a cult or legalistic, when they all look exactly the same? Right, have you ever noticed this? All the ladies dress exactly the same, have the exact same haircut, and they either all do not wear makeup or whatever the thing is, and they go, this is conformity, this is, this is what's holy. No, that's conformity. 
I'm looking at you guys out here, and all I see is a diverse motley crew. Right? None of you, col- none of you color coordinated. None of you did your hair together. It's just like all the different haircuts and diversity. Because you see, in Jesus, there's freedom for diversity. And it's the beautiful thing. But it's like, you know, if you were to show a, a poster of a Christian, what's that person look like? Well, the Mormon church would say a Mormon missionary. That's what he looks like, right? That's a Christian. You know, Elder Brown. Got my badge. Got my bicycle. Gonna show up on your doorstep, me and my other 18-year-old bro. And we're gonna tell you the wisdom of the ages. And we're 18, right out of high school. We're gonna let you know how to live life do marriage, raise kids, do all the hard stuff because we're 18 and we're figuring it out and we got a suit. And on that suit has a badge. I'm a man on a mission with a badge. Here to share a message with you. So conformity speaks of a different issue, right? Conformity says this is a religious organization that emphasizes outward conformity, not inward transformation. The gospel of Jesus emphasizes changing you from the inside out. It doesn't say, buy this suit, wear this shirt, get this haircut, right? Because it's interested in your heart. It's not interested in your clothes, right? I mean, you should wear some, we're glad for that. Thank you for, I'm glad you're wearing some clothes. But you know, we're not the clothes police. Like in Islam, they actually have police officers on the streets that give tickets for clothes. Did you know this? Like if your ankle is showing, ladies, you get a ticket for showing your ankle. So it's this conformity, but the Lord loves diversity. I was just at a a, a conference with like 30 different speakers They all have different gifts of communication, but they are all so radically diverse from one another. It was just unbelievable. God loves diversity, and Paul wants us to know that because you think, well, I I want everybody to be like me. I want everybody to do what I do. And how is a body supposed to work? And he gives us this illustration. You see, every part of my body does something unique, right? My hands can hold things. My eyes can see things, my ears can hear things, my liver's doing its thing to cleanse the blood. It's everything, it's doing everything that's right, and if it's not doing what's right, they call that being sick, right? Something's broken down, I'm sick. I have some kind of bacteria or something going on. And each one of us are a part of the Lord's body, and now he gives us these seven gifts, starting at verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, each of you, by the Spirit of God, have a gift from the Holy Spirit, and he gives us these seven gifts. The first is, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy is speaking forth the word of God under the anointing of God's Spirit in a way, in a service, or in one-on-one activity that reveals the secret of the heart of the person that has come. Have you ever had that happen? Raise your hand. If you've ever come to church and you felt like somebody called the preacher before you got there to tell on you, raise your hand. Okay. That's prophecy. So I've had people come up to me just mad as a hornet. 
I had this one guy, and it was really, it was so hilarious, because it was summertime. I'd never seen the guy in church before, and he was a bodybuilder, so he came in a tank top, you know, I mean, he's totally jacked, and he came, he came walking across, and he had this angry look at me, and he comes up, and he's all swole, and he looks at me, and he goes, did my mom call you? He's like 50 years old. And first of all, when he was coming, I'm kind of like, wow, this is quite a flesh parade with whatever's going on right here. And, and I looked at him, I said, excuse me? He goes, did my mother call you? And I said, well, first of all, sir, I, I don't know you or your mother. And so, no, your mommy didn't call. <laughs> he goes, because everything you just said in that sermon has been what's going on in my life. And only my mom knows. So I know my mom called you. And I'm like, here's a 50-year-old muscle-bound individual living in his mother's basement. But when he came to church, the word of God revealed the secrets of his heart because that's what was going on inside of him. And one after another over the years, this incredible gift that God takes these words by his spirit and he reveals the secrets of people's hearts so that they'll fall on their face and say, God is truly among you. And it's an evidence that God loves you so much that he's actually reading your mail. He loves you so much, he's talking to your heart. Today, if you feel like God's talk, God loves you so much that he's talking to you. So if you have the gift of prophecy, in this sense, which I do, to speak forth and secrets are revealed, which I have no clue, and this is what freaks people out, because the secret of the heart was revealed, and then they come up to me to talk to me as if I know the, you know, the details of it. I'm like, what are you even talking about? I don't even remember saying that. You know, God's just doing it. There also can be a predictive element to this, which, uh, you know, something's coming in the future. This also, you have to do it in proportion to your faith because it takes a lot to go out on a limb and say this is what's going on. That's why the Bible says not to despise prophecies, but test all things because in certain charismaniac Pentecostal circles, they got a prophecy a minute. You know, it's like, I'm prophesying over you and you and you. And then a year goes by and none of the stuff they said happened. So now you're crushed. You're like, I thought God talked to me through you. And now I realize you're a liar. So you got to test these things. You can't just be duped by it. I thought it was crazy how many people in the Christian movement, when President Trump lost, had all these prophecies. Did you hear any of them? All these prophecies, he's coming back. He's got special, you know, military equipment. He's loading up right now from Texas and coming back to these. This is like people spouting prophecy. It's like, you're nuts. It's not happening. People all the way to, even to this day, there's this whole group of people that Trump's going to be back in the White House. Now, don't get me wrong. With what we got in the White House, I'm like, please, please, President Trump, come back. Let, so that there's a country at the end of four years, really. But that's not happening. And when you hear people like that, mark what they say, judge what they say, and if it doesn't happen, never listen to them again. Because they are lying to get some kind of attention, some kind of adulation, to boast their social media, whatever it is. They have some selfish motive to do that. Secondly, we see minister in verse seven, 
or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. A gift of the Spirit is ministering or serving. Some people just love to come to church and they just want to serve. Hey, you need to set chairs up or I'll help with the coffee after service. They say, I don't know, I just get this great joy in serving. It's a gift. They love to do it. He who teaches in his teaching, those who have a gift of communicating the truths of God's word, find a way to use your gifts. Sunday school, home fellowship, maybe it's uh, a once a week uh, lunchtime Bible study with some believers at your workplace, whatever it is, find a place to express the gifts that God has put inside of you. He who exhorts in exhortation. How is teaching different than exhortation? Exhortation is motivating people after they've got the teaching, the information. If you're ever at a church where there's really strong teaching and very little exhortation, you have people with fat notebooks and fat rear ends because they never do anything, but they're full of knowledge. Right, the, I got the notes. Did you do anything with it? Nope. But I got lots of information. And people in churches where there's lots of exhortation without teaching, it's like, it's like a pep rally. Every Sunday, we're going to go get them and go, to, go fight win for Jesus. And you get up and you go and you, but we don't know what to do. They're all motivated with nowhere to go. So you want to teach and instruct and then motivate so that it takes that information put shoe leather on it, and then things are happening because of it. He who gives with liberality, if you've been given the gift of giving, then give generously. And as you sow generously, God's gonna reward you and give you more to give. I know people, they just love to write a check. That's their gift. They're amazing at it. And they don't want any credit. They don't want any recognition. It's like, this is for the Lord. And because the people that have a gift of giving, I've noticed as they give it away, God pours in more and more because if you're faithful with little, you get more. And pretty soon they're doing bigger things for God's glory by simply writing a check. He who leads with diligence, this means if you're a leader, you need to diligently keep things on track because everybody's trying to go every different direction. You stay on course. And then he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The gift of mercy is a beautiful thing. It is this incredible compassion for people that are in a real need and they wanna help them through that need. And God brings these people into your life all the time and you have this gift of mercy. We, in our church, we had this gal and her name was Cheryl and she had the most powerful gift of mercy I've ever seen. Every single week, God put somebody in her life that was a total train wreck and Cheryl would love them. She would meet them. I would like, where do you meet all these people? Is there like a, a store for people like this? I mean, uh, do you go to the mall with a sign going, hey, need mercy, here I am? How, how do you find all these people? She goes, I don't, I mean, she's just a joyful person. I don't know, everywhere I go, I just meet them. Like this gal, she'll, and then she'll introduce them on Sunday. Hey, Pastor Rick, I met this gal in the grocery line last week, and she's really gone through a hard time. Her husband passed away about three years ago. She's been so depressed, she has, barely can leave the house. So I've been at her house this week, cleaning her house, and here she is. Her name's Mona, and I wanted to introduce you to Mona. She's my new friend. And then the next week, she had somebody else. And the next week, she had somebody else. I'm like, and, and the compassion's so real how do you have a per total stranger come clean your house for you? Some of you are thinking, I I'd sign up for that. Right? <laughs> My house could need that. But I mean, it's this incredible gift of mercy. But you see, when you're ministering to hurting people all the time, did you notice what it said? Those who show mercy 
with cheerfulness. It's pretty easy to get heavy hearted if you're only ministering to people that are in desperate situations, right? So you do it with cheerfulness. You do it with joy because they, they need that, right? Your mercy is going to shine through if they see your cheerfulness. It's not like, I'm showing mercy to a bunch of losers this week. What a drag. God gave me this gift. I'm going to suffer through it. But why is it that God would give you a gift if he didn't want you to use it? What's the gift of the spirit that God's given you? If you're a born again Christian, filled with his spirit, he's given every single one of us a gift of the spirit. It's your job to explore and poke around and see what those gifts are. And when you use your gifts, all the gifts are to build up other people. Mercy builds up someone else. Teaching builds up someone else. Exhortation builds up someone else. Giving builds up someone else. Leading builds up others. You see, the beautiful thing is to Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, and you get joy from actually bringing ministry to other people. Because Jesus said, if you want to find your life, lose your life for my sake, and you'll find it. How's that work? I lay my life down to love and serve other people. Even at the beginning, it may seem begrudging, but after I do it, I'm amazed about how joyful I feel that I laid my life down to help somebody else. You're depressed here today? find somebody else to love and to help and to minister. And in a week or two, you're going to be filled with joy because you are actually serving someone else. But in our depression, what are we, who's going to serve me, right? Who's going to come minister to me? And we get in our pity party and that, that, that has only one direction, a really dark hole, right? You're sitting there eating your chocolate bonbons, watching as the world turns or the Kardashians. <laughs> and you're so depressed that nobody loves you. No, nobody wants to help you. <laughs> and the Lord's like, you know what? I do love you and I know how to fix you. If you would get your eyes off yourself, get them on me and love others, I'll fill you with joy. Because you spell joy. Amen. <laughs> Because you spell joy, J, Jesus, get my eyes on Jesus. O, help others, you, you're last. And when Jesus is first and others, and I didn't even know that that's what I needed to fill me up was being a blessing to other people. And that's the way in God's kingdom to move forward. It's the way to move forward in your marriage. It's the way to move forward in every avenue of life because the strange thing, you'll have more friends than you know what to do with because who doesn't want to be around a person that brings a heart to love and serve the people around them? People will line up to be your friend. Who wants to be the friend of a narcissist that is always like, it's all about me. I'm going to talk about me for a while and when I'm tired, I'm going to ask you, would you talk about me for a while? Because I'm tired of talking about myself. <laughs> Let us pray. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Pray that you would build us up now. Strengthen us. We're uh, in desperation every day for your goodness. Lord, please forgive us. Please wash us and cleanse us with your precious blood for being a mess most of the time, Lord. Please forgive us for 
being self-absorbed. Please forgive us for our resentment towards people that we put expectations on and when they let us down, they didn't even know what they did. And we're angry at them. Please forgive us, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would help us stand strong and resist the pressure to conform to a godless world that wants nothing to do with you, your word, your instructions, your standards, your will. Lord, today, as a family in Jesus, we offer to you our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, which is the only reasonable thing to do, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name. Light in the darkness, I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Times of trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I will keep my heart seeking.